This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Hello and welcome to Lens Me Your Ears. This is a film podcast where we watch something new in cinemas and compare and contrast it to films in days gone by. Same genre, same filmmaker, and sometimes same huge hulking muscle-bound star. Uh, my name is Karsten Knox. I'm a film writer. Uh, I've got a blog at, uh, at Halifax Bloggers. It's called Flaw in the Iris. And I'm Stephen Cook, and I'm an arts writer here in Halifax at the Chronicle Herald. And today we are talking about Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger, the incredibly successful and popular action star of the 80s, 90s, and right into the present. Uh, We're looking back at his 50-year career and uh, starting with Terminator Dark Fate. Welcome back to Lends Me Your Ears. My name is Stephen Cook. And I'm Karsten Knox. And we're about to take a deep dive into the career of one of the most enduring film stars and action stars of, uh, well, certainly of our lifetimes, uh, probably yours. Uh, although, of course, uh, if you didn't grow up during a certain period, he may not have been as large a presence in your life as he has been in ours. But, of course, we are talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, the former governor of California, an Austrian-born uh, movie superstar, who... Um, well, it's funny because we talked about uh, Sylvester Stallone and returning to his role as John Rambo fairly recently. Uh, and now Arnold is back in one of his most enduring roles, uh, returning to play the Terminator in the, uh, what is this, the sixth iteration the sixth. of this uh, character? Yeah. In a new film called Terminator Dark Fate. And uh, no numbers this time around because apparently they don't want to tie this into the last few sequels. Uh, it's almost like we're we're starting afresh from the end of T two, so we're forgetting. Uh, was it Terminator three? Rise of the Terminators. Uh, there was uh, Rise of the Machines. Rise of the Machines. Uh, then there was uh, Salva- Terminator Salvation, which is the one where Christian Bale had his famous uh, onset uh, freak out. <laughs> um, Terminator Genesis, which. Um, saw Arnold kind of return to the series in, in a sort of a bigger capacity than he had in the last uh, film. And then uh, now, we, of course, we have Dark Fate, which has uh, the uh, series creator Jim Cameron back on board as a producer and co-writer, not as a director, and um, also Linda Hamilton returning to the series for the first time since T2. And uh, uh, although uh, I think we both had mixed feelings about Dark Fate, it was uh, certainly welcome to have her back on board for this entry. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's, she's uh, She was the heart of those first two movies. I went back and watched Terminator and Terminator 2, and, and you know, one of the fam- favorite conversation uh, uh, igniters on uh, film Twitter is whether the first Terminator or the sequel, Terminator Judgment Day, are the better films. I personally enjoy the very first. First original and best, even though I, I recognize it was... It is sort of hamstrung by some of the budgetary constraints. I still feel like it is the most successful of the films. Uh, The second one, though, is a huge, uh, big-budget success and uses special effects so well, and it's it's very engaging. But but yeah, then there are those three others, which you mentioned, and I like aspects of all of them, you know? I like the fact that the third one had a great dark conclusion. Uh, the fourth one, Terminator Salvation, was just a post-apocalyptic film, had no time travel in it, which was a nice change. At least they mixed up the the formula a little bit. And the fifth one had a lot of time travel, and uh, though a lot of other elements of it that didn't work as well. Now we're here, Terminator Dark Fate, and we're we're trying to forget the last three movies 
happened at all. And we have a story about um, a young woman in Mexico City, Danny, played by Natalia Reyes, who lives with her father and brother. And one morning at the automobile assembly plant where she works, uh, she's attacked by a man played by Gabriel Luna, who's made of black metal, who can take the identity of anyone he touches. He's a Terminator from the future, a mix kind of the original T-800 model and the T-1000 liquid metal version. But she has a protector. Uh, that's uh, Danny has a protector, Grace, who's played by Mackenzie Davis, who claims to also be from the future. And she has some special skills, bionic augmentations. But the new Terminator, of course, wants Danny, wants her dead, and the humans barely escape, but they get the help of Sarah Connor, who I guess is in her 60s at this point. She shows up armed to the teeth, and then, you know, we're on the run, and it's very much a return to the the template that the first two movies created, where there is a killer robot from the future hunting down our heroes, and and we have a, a, a young and um, uncertain person who hasn't quite found their, um, I guess, their reason to go on in life, their reason for, and they certainly don't understand why it is they're being hunted. Um, and there's all these different elements in play, some of which I found really stale. Like, we just, we've seen this before, yes. you know, we've, we know the story. And, and I, I was a little frustrated that, that Danny doesn't, demand to know from grace why it is she's been chosen she we just kind of you know run forward grace says something about i can't tell you yet or something i mean she doesn't even really explain why she's not explaining and the film doesn't do a good job of explaining why danny's curiosity you know why she's being put in this terrible situation it's almost like the filmmakers think well they know this story so we don't have to explain it (laughs) and i i don't think that's true no (laughs) i mean it's like okay She's already, she already knows that she's with an enhanced cyborg from the future. <laughs> so why not just spill the beans off the bat and let her at least know that she has a purpose down the road as opposed to we can't tell you that right now. It would change everything kind of thing. It's like, well, you're a cyborg from the future. I think that pretty much changes everything from the get-go. Yeah, and my, my father and my brother uh, are dead, and it's my whole life has been ruined. So... Uh, yeah, there's there's some some sort of story elements that, that are problematic here. I did like the characters. I really like Mackenzie Davis. I like the idea that she's, you know, an, an augmented human being. So she has some of the skills or some of the technology that the Terminator has inside her own body. But she doesn't get much of a chance to talk about, you know, she's made this sacrifice where she's had to, well, she we see a scene where she's saved, her, her life is saved by these these it's a very much a six million bionic woman kind of deal where she gets her life saved by these augmentations but but you know what is the cost to her what is the cost to her life and her her connection with her humanity i mean i think the most interesting things about these films is like what do we do to survive how our relationship with technology and um there's a lot about terminator dark fate that doesn't want to address these things and doesn't isn't really it's not really thinking about them it's it's too much yeah it pays lip know. service to yeah. some of these ideas yeah. but it doesn't really explore them in any great detail yeah and the, so what you got you fall back on are those action sequences and i mean you know they're passably entertaining i i, I find that as a as a person who was raised in action movies and i mean i certainly enjoy them i wouldn't be going if i didn't um i'm i'm very I'm easily bored when I see things I've seen before, especially if they're CGI generated. I felt like there was a lot of stuff here that was just ones and zeros. Yeah, well, there's a big scene involving a a plane that they've hijacked or commandeered or been given permission to take from a base. It's it's a little nebulous as to how they're able to, like, operate, get onto this army base and then just kind of have the run of the place. But, uh, of course, 
you know, they're on this plane. They're, um, you know, the 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 super enhanced Terminator, evil double robot guy, uh, you know, finds them and attacks them, and then and then begins this long sequence that felt it felt like they kind of like somebody at a keyboard cut and pasted it from a Fast and Furious movie, and then just digitally inserted the characters from this movie into it. it it's it it is it's splashy. It looks expensive, but it also feels fairly generic. It's just like a Rube a Rube Goldberg kind of machine of things happening to this plane as it plummets to the ground and and so on. And and it's you know and because it, it, it's not that exciting because you know it's just all digital and uh, and again we like I said we as you say we've seen it in a, in a bunch of films before. It, it's um, like uh, like a lot of the vehicles you see on the roads in Mexico, it does feel like it's assembled from recycled parts. And the parts that do work really have to work overtime to kind of keep you engaged and keep you going through this film. And the parts that work do work. Uh, you know, certainly the cast is great. Uh, you know, I think it is probably the best Terminator movie since T2. Um, but that's not saying but, too much. Which isn't saying too, too much. But, uh, you know, like I feel like maybe I should go back and rewatch T3. But I, I remember... To see, because I think a lot of my disappointment with that film was based on the fact that it was just such a step down from from its predecessor. I don't know if time will make it seem any better, or that uh, I was like, well, it's okay for what it is, kind of thing. I don't even know if it's if it's that good. It has it has its moments. Claire Danes is in it; she's really good. Um, but yeah, and I like the I, I think I mentioned I like the ending. I like how it it ends quite. Uh, it's very pretty downbeat for a massive uh, blockbuster movie, um, but. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, one thing about that scene with the plane, I got to talk about that because <laughs> because there the plane is 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 being sort of rammed by another plane. There are bits of it flying off. The our lead characters are flying through the fuselage as it's spinning out of control and trying to get a Humvee out of the plane that's got parachutes on it so that they can they can land safely um, while all this debris is falling out of the sky. And somehow they wind up heading directly for a hydroelectric dam. And I'm thinking to myself, the one thing that came to mind uh, that I couldn't help think about is there's one of my favorite Calvin and Hobbes comics where Calvin's playing with his trains and his planes and, and, and uh, <laughs> they're all about to crash in this huge explosion. And, uh, and you know, and, and there's a guy right at the bottom about to light his stove and the stove is, he doesn't realize it's a gas leak. And he looks out the window and he sees the train coming and the plane coming and his, his eye twitched involuntarily. <laughs> like it just, it just had that moment of like, how is this even possible? You know, I'm all for suspending your disbelief, but there's a point where it just becomes ridiculous. And this, this film crosses over into that. I, I guess they just needed to have a scene for the big finale and, they they'd done the abandoned factory with the molten lava pouring <laughs> or molten steel or whatever the, the completely abandoned hum, human free factory that is still somehow in operation um, that seems to pop up in these films uh, which they said well we don't want that so let's let's have a, a dam yeah where we can you know with lots of equipment and we'll show the the staff like running in terror so at least there's a reason why there are no people around yeah yeah so at least they they took that step. But um, but uh, I, f- I find yeah it, you're you're gonna have to weigh this uh, the charms of the things that work against the things that, that don't in this film and mm-hmm. uh, I, I I can't say I regret seeing it um, no you know, I don't I didn't I enjoyed it enough to have been there in the cinema I think I think the early parts as we're getting to know the characters and, and realize what it, you know learning about like Grace and what her abilities and limitations are and and getting to know this new. T, you know, T, whatever he is, the the guy who's like part liquid metal, part chromium, 
skeleton, uh, which I think is a great idea. That might be one of the, the best ideas in the film to, to combine like Terminator's past into some uber Terminator. But uh, unfortunately, the, the guy playing him, I, I found, didn't have... I mean, even though he's, you know, he's supposed to be fairly expressionless, but you think of what Robert Patrick did with his character in T2, um, given a fairly limited emotional range that he, he's supposed to have. And this guy just uh, didn't seem to be on the same level how, some, somehow. Yeah, no, I, I agree. He's, he's, he's almost like an elemental force. It's a, he's, he's super powerful and seems completely indestructible. So it's amazing that our heroes actually escape from him, at, not once, but multiple times. Um, he's so dangerous and deadly and, and capable with all these... And he can split into sort of two independent yeah. figures, which is a, a new development, and that's also terrifying. Um, but yeah, he is... It might as well be a disaster movie, uh, like, an, like, you know, it's in, in terms of how much personality he brings to that role. Um, but you know what? I think that that thinking about those original two Terminator movies, and it, I come back to this again and again watching the sequels, including this one, is, is you cannot uh, dismiss what Jim Cameron as a director can bring in terms of an action uh, uh, film. Like his, his ability to move the, uh, the scene around and make sense of it uh, is extraordinary. And it, it's watching those movies again, those first two that he made, uh, that's the thing that really stayed with me. It's like you, you always know exactly where you are in space and time, the geometry and the, 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 the situational uh, uh, order of it makes a lot of sense. And the excitement of it, uh, the way it's edited, the way he uses music, all of it is just, uh, it's remarkable. And, uh, and this is why, of course, you know, Cameron has had success after success is because he just has a knack for kinetic filmmaking. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I'm curious what his involvement in this film was. I mean, he's, he's he's on board as a producer. He's one of the seven screenwriters, which I think is another one of the problems with this film. Um, but uh, you know, I kind of wonder what his day to day involvement in this movie would have been while he's busy making eight Avatar sequels or whatever, <laughs> yeah, whatever yeah. he's up to at the moment. But um, you know, I, I feel like it was a lot more hands off. I, I was reading something about this film, and they talked about how Cameron showed up to help promote Genesis, apparently, even though he had absolutely nothing to do with it. He turned up as kind of a talking head, talking about the movie. Yeah, I saw uh, him I saw him saying, basically said he liked the movie. He was basically supporting it. So, uh, you know, maybe because he knew he, he wanted to return to this franchise uh, sort of late in the game as a kind of a Hail Mary pass. Um, we haven't really talked about Genesis. It's I think the only holdover from that film is the fact that uh, Arnold's uh, T-800 can age. Um, which is is which was I think a new wrinkle because because they had to either use a double or do that kind of CGI uh, face replacement thing or whatever they've had to do over the course of this series, which they also have to do in this film for for an early flashback that I'm not going to reveal what happens there, but the, you know the, the scene that kind of ties this film back into T2, but um, you know it's kind of a clever idea to introduce the idea that he could that he can age because you know they're, they're meant to be infiltrators and if they're going to fit in with society as kind of like a sleeper agent they can't just stay the same look the same you know 10 years later so yeah i i totally understand that but then why would they have all the t-800s looking this like they're why do they all look like arnie <laughs> well there's you think, that yes. you think that they would be easy to spot if they uh, all look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's not like your average looking fellow. Well, um, that is that is kind of a, a sticking uh, point. But. I, I mean, yeah, I, I do like the idea that 
they can age and they're, they they can learn. Like that's something that T2 established, yes. uh, that they can learn and change. Um, but uh, yeah, I felt like it was good to see Arnie again in the role in, in um, Dark Fate. But I just felt it was sort of shoehorned in the whole idea. Anyway, again, I don't, don't want to give too, go too far into spoiler territory. But his his sort of raison d'être in 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 this film feels um, like well, we can't have a Terminator movie without Arnie, or people won't show up. So we got to make up some way to get him. In yeah. It. Well, he doesn't actually show up until almost an hour in. Yeah. Forty minutes, something like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, so you're waiting, you know, because thanks to the trailer, you know, he's in it. Uh, but. Uh, but it's yeah, it's a bit of a wait waiting for like wonder like I don't I don't know if they could have tightened this thing up a little bit. I think it runs two hours and fifteen minutes or something like that, and it does kind of feel its length by the time everything you know by the time the last nuts and bolts <laughs> fall to the floor, it does kind of feel like a heavy uh, ongoing thing. You know, like, I think I think when when the credits rolled and, and I, I was like, was that en- entertainment or endurance? You know. <laughs> It was, it, I don't know, but I mean, Terminator 2 was, was a long film, and, but didn't feel like it because it just had that momentum. And uh, sometimes I feel that this film is, is lacking that. Like even, even when scenes when there's a lot happening, there's a plane blowing up and stuff like that, it's, you know, y- you don't feel as engaged as you did with like the, the say, a, you know, 18-wheeler actually driving off a bridge in, in uh, T2, for example, or, you know, some of the things that Cameron staged. So, uh but it, you know, it is. It, if you have been disappointed by the last three, uh, I certainly recommend uh, checking this out uh, just to see where the story is going. Uh, you know, Genesis, I thought uh, had some real promise uh, in its story and so on. But uh, you know, I, the casting was a real problem. I felt that the the uh, Jason Clark, who I think I've on, on record is not liking as a screen presence, <laughs> um, you know, plays John Connor and uh, has well. I, Spoiler alert, he, he's not exactly what he seems. Uh, so uh, that's, you know, that's problematic because you don't like him from the get-go if you're not a fan of, of him. And and uh, the actor playing, uh, is it is it Reese? Is, is it the character? Kyle Reese, yeah. So, so say the new Kyle Reese in Genesis played by another uncharismatic uh, male lead whose name escapes me. And uh, so that, you know, that made my mind was wander. Was it Jai Courtney? I yes, think it that, was. that's yeah. it. That's who yeah, it was. Yeah, and he doesn't get a lot of work these days. I think since uh, Suicide Squad, he's just not. But he, I've never l- much liked. Him. No, no so, offense to Mr. Courtney. I'm sure he's a great guy. Yeah, right. I'm sure. But 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 for whatever reason, the, the two uncharismatic, unenjoyable male leads in that film, uh, and because I, I did like uh, the actor playing Sarah, the sort of the younger Sarah yeah, Connor. Yeah, in that Amelia film. Clark. Yeah, from Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. she's terrific. But mm. uh, but the rest of that film, uh, it's just like, ugh. well, you know, it's funny. It's like I appreciate that. With Genesis, at least they try to mix up the the formula a little bit. They they it's almost like a parallel universe Terminator movie. It kind of is because they introduce all this new sort of computer mythology with Genesis, and then Genesis turns out to be this other new. It's like an operating system that turns to out to be like uh, Matt Smith from Doctor Who as a, a kind of a, a an, an AI that's trying to become flesh, as it were. Uh, and of course, none of that is in the new film at all. In fact, it, there isn't a whole lot of sort of Skynet type uh, activity. It, it's, it's, I mean, you know, the part of, part of the, the fun of the series is, is about dealing with the technology and how it's kind of outpacing us uh, as fast as we can develop it. Uh, and, and that theme is pretty minimal. Uh, and I think we've already talked about this uh, earlier in this segment, but it, but it, you know, that was always a key element for me in these films and, and it's sadly missing in dark fate. So, 
I don't know. Maybe, maybe if they, they return to the well, maybe they can try and bump up that theme a little bit more because it was such a key part of uh, certainly of Terminator 2 anyway. Welcome back to Lends Me Your Ears, the film podcast. My name is Karsten Knox. And my name is Stephen Cook. And we are talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger, or Schwarzenegger, depending on where the, in the world you're coming from. And The Black, uh, the black Plowman, yes, which is the, what it translates. Yes, the, the direct translation. Uh, and we're going to look back now at some of his earlier work. Uh, the, the, the actor and bodybuilder in the 1970s, his first film was actually in 1970, and it was a badly dubbed picture called Hercules in New York, which he was starred as Arnold Strong. Uh, and, you know, no one remembers this as as something that's worth going back to see. But, you know, it's funny talking about him. He actually worked for at least 10 years in Hollywood before he became a, a genuine star. He made some good movies in that period. He made some pretty bad ones. But it's hard to remember how big a deal uh, he was. And uh, I'm just going to call him Arnie from here on because <laughs> sure. I feel like like I've known him my whole life. Uh, you know, even Dwayne Johnson's global success right now can't compare with the kind of visibility I think that Arnie had after like Conan and Terminator and Commando and those films from the 1980s. But uh, it's interesting to go back and see him show up in smaller roles in the 70s. He was uh, a like a, a, a thug without any dialogue in Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye. Such a great uh, scene, though. <laughs> yeah, such a great scene. Um, and we watch Stay Hungry, which is Bob Rafelson's film from 1976. Rafelson, best known for Five Easy Pieces and The King of Marvin Gardens, one of those young Turks of American cinema in the 1970s. And this is his a lesser-known film of his, and you called it, Stephen, a shaggy dog comedy, and that's exactly what it is. It's a delightful film that's not too plot-oriented, starring Jeff Bridges as this this young man, he's a southern heir who's living in his parents' mansion and looking to invest in a local gym. And he gets involved with Sally Field and Arnie's bodybuilder character. And Arnie is just great in this. He's so relaxed. He's he's sort of the outsider person in this, this world, uh, this sort of cl- very class-conscious world between sort of the country club wealthy people and um, Jeff Bridges' character is stuck between them and these these people like to hang around uh, at the gym and uh, and water ski um, you know and it's uh, it's I think if you're a fan of Arnie you should very much go back and watch this but I mean even if you're interested in, in 70s film I think this is this is a terrific movie it's 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 really unusually toned like I feel like at one moment it's this sort of light kind of a charming comedy and in this other moment there's a scene of there's actually a scene of assault late in the running that's really hard to watch um it's 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 unexpected but it feels very much made for adults and and arnie is is shockingly good in it he yeah he's he's so relaxed and so natural and so funny and charming and you know and uh, you kind of wonder why he didn't make more of these kind of films obviously because of the money you know once once he was in conan the barbarian that was kind of the the future was writ as it were and that was um, what he wanted i think and it was, yeah it's hard to cast a uh, austrian accented bodybuilder in your average movie i think th- well that that is true there are certain limitations that you know i don't i don't think he ever tried to hide his accent or or, or anything like that there it was always fun to watch films bend over backwards to explain or not in the you know in some cases just just not address it at all or try and you know say well his parents were from Austria or Germany or whatever um, you know and then of course you, know, you get the same thing with like Jean Claude Van Damme films where he's like he's an Acadian he's a Cajun he's <laughs> he's from France whatever um, uh, but uh, but here you know it's 
it, it's 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 almost odd to see him in such a candid way um, so early in his career. And and I I remember. Um, I think one of the, I mean, I never really knew much about him as a person when I was, I just knew him as this kind of icon in films like Conan and Terminator and so on. And, uh, you know, and then I read an article, I think, uh, I think Roger Ebert did a story on him sort of early in his career, maybe around the time of Conan or Terminator, I'm not sure, but he talked about how he was like taking business courses at the time, you know, he's taking acting courses and business courses and like, he was really like on this major self-improvement kit, which I guess was an extension of bodybuilding, like bodybuilding, you just concentrate on working on, you know, your triceps and you're, you know, like per- perfecting every inch of your body. And I guess once he'd gotten to that stage, he had to move on to something else. So it became learning about business. And, you know, that probably explains why he was able to make some of the biggest deals that Hollywood's ever seen. Um, and so on. And, you know, he's just a fascinating character in that way. And, and this is before all of that. Um, you know, where he's just, he's playing a character. He's not just playing some outsized version of his ideal, idyllic self. And, and, uh, and, and, and Rafelson's a very canny filmmaker. I think he, he wanted to portray a bunch of different things in this kind of mashup of a film. He was interested in the whole subculture of bodybuilding, which, uh, comes into play sort of, you know, it's, it's strung throughout the film, but then comes into a play in a big way at the climax. And, and, uh, he was interested in the subculture of, of even just Birmingham, Alabama, which he saw as this kind of weird, uh, kind of bubble of society in the South, uh, which is, is, you know, very much a big part of what this film is about as well. So, uh, you know, and it's, it's interesting to see him as sort of a, a very crucial cog in a film rather than being like the driver of a star vehicle. And, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I think later in his post political, you know, after he dropped out of movies for a while to, to, to do politics and he came back and he's, you know, he's doing kind of lower budget, more interesting and sometimes more generic kind of films. And I kind of hope that maybe he'll find a, a stay hungry kind of thing to be in, you know, not necessarily just a low budget action film, but something that actually has maybe a bit of heart yeah. and, and brains behind it. Well, so. he's made some interesting efforts in that direction, uh, but we'll talk about that yes, in our exactly. chronological uh, later segment. But, uh, but you know, in the mid seventies and late seventies, he was in Pumping Iron, which I think you know, talk about playing a character. He's sort of playing a character that is himself in that film. And I, I think anyone who's interested in his success as a bodybuilder and the kind of confidence that he had from the get go is should check out Pumping Iron. Yeah, it was a huge hit. It actually, I mean, it played theaters here. Like, it, it, I mean, it's a documentary that played. It played at Penhorn Mall in Dartmouth <laughs> in the multiplex there. So that's like I actually remember going to see it there and. Uh, you know, and, and of course that, that, that's where you saw him, you know, becoming a star, like over the course of this film, like he just held the camera and he had this inner confidence and, and strength that I guess, you know, comes from being a bodybuilder. You've got to kind of project this, this ego in a way. And, uh, but at the same time he did it in such a, a, a charming, disarming way that, you know, it, it made total sense that his career went the way it did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's really worth checking out, and and it kind of forms the basis for his movie stardom to come. Uh, now, you saw The Villain, yes. which was one that I'd never heard of, and I still haven't had a chance to see it, but tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, a, a very odd uh, odd entry in his filmography. I mean, it, it's a flat-out comedy. It's, I, I, it's directed by Hal Needham, of course, the man who is uh, the former stuntman who became uh, Burt Reynolds' kind of cohort and directing Smokey and the Bandit and Hooper and, and uh, you know, went on to make some films without Burt that aren't very successful. But but uh, but in this case, it's it's basically, and I'm sure the success of Blazing Saddles had everything to do with it, um, this film uh, 
and I, I think it was made to be a theatrical feature and wound up becoming like a TV movie. I, I don't know that it played theaters in North America. It became a hit overseas under a different title, Cactus Jack, which is the name of uh, Kirk Douglas's character. He's basically a black-clad bad guy who's trying to steal a bunch of money from Arnold Schwarzenegger and Anne Margaret. Uh, she needs the money for her dad's silver mine. He's trying to get the—he's he's taking out a loan to— boost operations at a silver mine, which he hopes will pay back the loan. And uh, the, the crooked banker, played by Jack Elam, hires Kirk Douglas to steal the money back. Um, so, and it, But the whole thing is laid out like a Warner Brothers cartoon. Like, essentially, uh, Kirk Douglas is wily e. Coyote. He keeps setting up all these schemes to stop the carriage with the money on it, and they backfire. In, in some of it's directly taken out of Looney Tunes, giant boulders and dynamite and so on. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger plays Handsome Stranger. That's his name. Uh, and uh, and uh, Mar- Anne Margaret goes, that's an unusual name. Where'd you get it? He goes, oh, I named after my father. And, he, and she says, oh, what was he like? He goes, I never met him. So obviously his mom met a handsome stranger and he got the name. But uh, And that's, a, that's, <laughs> that's a kind pretty of good gag. Th- well, and it's, <laughs> that's it's, kind of the level of humor. I mean, you know, this is a film. It's very much of its time. You've got Paul Lind playing uh, Native Chief which tells you the level of the humor in this film as well. Uh, it, it's kind of fun to see Arnold mixing with all these old school celebrity types like Ruth Buzzy from Laugh-In and uh, Struther Martin, a great character actor, is in this for a spell. And and it's just a goofy parody of movies. It's not terribly ambitious. It just wants to set up all these kind of chain reaction gags with Kirk Douglas. But it, I, I laughed a lot just because it was so audacious and and sometimes goes quite over the top and pulling off these stunts and gags as only Hal Needham can do it. Um, you know, it just felt like he wanted to make a Western comedy and that's what we got. So, and I think there was actually kind of a sequel called Evil Roy Slade with John Astin uh, playing the brother of the character that Kirk Douglas plays in this one. Uh, but uh, Arnold is nowhere to be seen in, the, in right. that one. Now, uh, he was also in something called Scavenger Hunt, but it sounds like he's only in it for a couple of scenes. Yeah, not really worth talking about. I actually found a copy at the Halifax Library. It has the DVD. It's, it's basically like an all-star, uh, it's a mad, 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 mad world type comedy where Vincent Price plays the head of a, he's the very rich head of a board game company that uh, that dies and his uh, the heirs to his fortune have to do a scavenger hunt. To uh, to win the the money, whoever gets the most items on the list uh, gets it. And I guess at some point Tony Randall has to go to uh, a gym that's run by Arnold Schwarzenegger's character uh, and uh, and retrieve a I think a medicine ball uh, from the gym. And uh, so he's going through all these mac and he's pretending that he needs to 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 build up his body. So you've got this comedy involving these scenes involving Arnold Schwarzenegger trying to build up Tony Randall, which I guess <laughs> is, is the comedy. And eventually uh-huh. uh, Arnold throws the medicine ball at Tony Randall, which sends him flying out through a window. Um, again, it's a curiosity at best, but it might be fun to watch just for that. And for some of the other uh, characters that are in it, Cloris Leachman, Scatman Crothers, Roddy McDowell. It's one of those uh, James Coco. It's one of those kind of movies where they just throw as many sort of B grade stars at it and hoping that that will attract people. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's fairly dopey. Uh, it's certainly no, it's a mad, 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 mad world, but there are a slew of these kind of comedies from over the years. And right. this is one of them. Now we have to address the peak of, of Arnie's popularity, which is he owned the 80s. Yeah, he really hit the ground running, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, Conan, John Milius' movie, they found him and they cast him as this, and at that time he was physically huge and kind of terrifying. I remember when I first watched it, having read the comics and the books, I found him a little bit thick. Like, he doesn't say much. He's 
He's just kind of he's a bit monosyllabic. Yeah. But uh, over time, I've really come to enjoy the film. It's a little slow in places, but it has great scenes. Uh, Arnie is such a great physical presence. And I mean, there's that scene where he's crucified on a tree in the desert and he bites the throat out of a buzzard. Like yes. there's moments like that that are just like are iconic. Um, he returned to the role in 1984 in Conan the Destroyer, which is sort of a lesser sequel, um, but uh, does star, star Wilt Chamberlain. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> um, it's And then he was off to the races. The Terminator in 84, Commando in 1985, which is my vote for maybe the most straight ahead fun picture of his where he's retired military man john matrix and john matrix his old buddies are being killed and then his daughter played by Alyssa milano is kidnapped and he's blackmailed to do a hit they'll kill her if he doesn't kill this this leader in this south american uh republic uh so he has 12 hours to find out where they've taken his daughter or they'll kill her the stakes are really clear from the get-go the action is well directed and arnie gets to say one of his best lines i mean at this point he's getting known being known for his one-liners but uh my favorite is where he he grabs uh david patrick kelly who was the bad guy from the warriors if anyone remembers <laughs> yes. that and he's also in twin peaks yeah and hangs him over a cliff <laughs> and says sully remember when i told you i'd kill you last and so he's like yeah yeah you did matrix yeah i lied and he drops him yeah that's one of my favorite moments from the film it's you know it's got some it's got a lot of continuity problems it's got this crazy soundtrack with steel drums it's got ray don chong who chong who is amazing canadian ray don chong uh, who i really like but at any point in the film, I'm like, why are you doing this? Why are you helping this guy? It's basically like a case of instant Stockholm syndrome. You know, he abducts her and he forces, he convinces her that his cause is true and that she needs to help him. But she puts her life at risk constantly for this guy she barely knows. So anyway, oh, and Vernon Wells from Mad Max is in it as a bad guy. This is, well, I mean, this next run of films, for the most part, is what I call the McBain years. Because <laughs> but films like Raw Deal, Commando, Red Heat, I mean, these... I mean, you know, after the first Terminator, obviously became a hot property, and, and maybe he wasn't as careful about some of the choices he made, but they were offering him a lot of money, so I guess that uh, that that certainly helped, um, and and led to I think these are the films that inspired the McBain character on uh, The Simpsons, uh, which just did a dead dead on perfect uh, kind of pair of spin on these. You know, like, totally. I'll get you, Mendoza. You know, and, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Meeting adjourned. Let's have another meeting in uh, bed. You know, I mean, that, yeah. that, it's it's so nakedly obvious what what the inspiration was, and I think Arnold actually did show up uh, in on The Simpsons to voice either a version of the character or like the character's dad. I'm not sure what. Uh, what uh, form he took when he was actually yeah. on the show, but he did, but, it, yeah. but it's certainly one of the best uh, sort of recurring jokes on uh, on the uh, on the early days of The Simpsons for sure. Um, and he also made the the turn into comedy. He met Ivan Reitman, who thought he was a funny guy, and they worked together to develop projects that might work as a comedy. And he was in Twins in 1988, which was a huge success, uh, and that kicked off his comedy career in Kindergarten Cop and um junior and uh yeah he had a lot of success with that uh while still making action movies like predator like total recall these action sci-fi pictures that were very successful um terminator 2 judgment day came in 91 and then in 93 he had his first major bomb a movie that i still find fascinating and that's the last action hero it was i remember the film coming out and being hyped to the teeth like they had a lot of money spent on uh, um, promoting this film 
and it was by John McTiernan, who, of course, had previously directed Predator and Die Hard and The Hunt for Red October. This guy is another stellar filmmaker from the era. And uh, it's this weirdly kind of ill-advised but actually really fun movie, which drives a nail right into the forehead of 80s-style action movies. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's so insanely meta. I, I think it's kind of ahead of its time. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Where he plays a, uh, this character who is like a movie within a movie, and this kid... Uh, gets lost, goes to see the movie at midnight, has a magic ticket, goes, enters the screen, and gets to interact with his hero, Jack Slater. Uh, and it ev- eventually, uh, Charles Dance, who is the villain of the piece, finds a way out into the real world, and they have to follow him out of the real world. Just when you're kind of getting used to this idea, this way over-the-top action movie starring Jack Slater and this kid who knows that he's in a movie, uh, they have this final like half hour, which is in the so-called real world and the villain is like this is where villains can win the bad guys can win and there's this these great scenes where you see a lot of recognizable singers and actors uh, at the the premiere of the film Jack Slater 4 and uh, I I'm, I wonder why it people turn, were turned off by it. I mean, I can kind of get it because it's a bit awkward in places, but but there's so much to enjoy in the film. I, I like this film at the time. I, I still like it now. I'm, I'm not sure why it was such... I mean, it was a very expensive movie. I think maybe it would have been very hard for it to make its money back at that time. I don't know if it ever did, but uh, you know, maybe maybe the audience felt they were being poked fun at for, for liking his previous work. I mean, maybe, maybe they, they felt insulted to think that this film is suggesting that uh, Arnold's previous work is not good <laughs> or something. I, don't, I, I honestly don't know. But I mean, they make fun of Lethal Weapon. Of course, Stallone is yeah, in there uh, the, as well. The Stallone gag is is so well <laughs> well done. I mean, uh, uh, you know, I think that was the, the moment where I knew that I, I loved this film <laughs> when they, they pulled that off. And then I, I don't even know if I want to give it away because I, I don't know how many people have seen this film. But, but And just stuff like, like the fact that uh, in the squad room, one of the characters is a cartoon cat like an animated cartoon cat, like just because you got to have one of those apparently. And, uh, like the, there's, there's the non the sequiturs and the goofiness uh, just come out of left field the whole time. And, and I, I really uh, like that, that it kind of went for broke in a big way. I think it gets kind of dark and weird at the end. And maybe yeah. that's why, you know, when it does come back into the real world, it, 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 uh, it shifts into this kind of dark and kind of menacing in a real life way. Like it goes from this exaggerated fantasy to this very grim reality. And, and maybe some people had a, had a problem with that. And, and, you know, that's what they left the theater with, um, in their minds. I'm not sure, but, uh, but I find, you know, it, the, the fact that, uh, Schwarzenegger was game to go along with this film and, and, and kind of do the dual role. Plus, you know, I, I enjoy the fact that it's, the only Arnold Schwarzenegger film inspired by a Buster Keaton movie. So, you know, surely if you get a chance, see, see Sherlock Jr., not um, where uh, Buster Keaton plays a projectionist who goes into the film that he's projecting. And obviously that was where this came from. Although maybe they'll say Purple Rose of Cairo was the inspiration. I, 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 I honestly don't know, but I, I, I prefer to think it's the, uh, the Buster Keaton film. Yeah, well, fair enough. Uh, I also particularly like Charles Dance's line where he says, if God was a villain, he'd be me. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, there's a lot there's a lot to enjoy here I uh, there's F. Murray Abram uh, jokes about Amadeus and and Mozart that they fit in the movie you know there's there's it just it goes into places that you're never going to expect and uh, and I, I gotta say that um, that it's it's worth revisiting uh, now from the the optics of, of where we are now 
Welcome back to Lends Me Your Ears, and we're looking at the career of one of the biggest film stars of our time, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who uh, was a massive action star in the 80s and 90s, and then took some time out for politics, and then came back in, you know, slightly downgraded perhaps, but still kind of interesting uh, career arc, post-political career, taking a few chances and doing stuff for the hell of it, because Let's face it, you know, he's got more money than God and can do whatever the heck he wants. Now, the, we, we just talked about Last Action Hero, which, uh, as you said, was was the first kind of major flop. It wasn't a blockbuster on the, the scale of T2 and, and the films that came before. And it kind of marked the period, uh, the beginning of kind of a bit of a downturn through the 1990s. It's almost like... Uh, Hollywood had not not had moved on because he was still appearing in big budget films, but uh, they weren't necessarily using him to the best of his abilities, or the films just weren't uh, made with the same level of craftsmanship. No, I guess it's true. It's true. I mean, he was in True Lies, re- joining up again with James Cameron, and there are things to to re- recommend about True Lies. There are also things that have aged really poorly about that film, but the action sequences are worthwhile. Um, he was in some more generic action stuff like Eraser. He was in the Christmas movie, Jingle All the Way. And then he was in Batman and Robin, which was another big bomb. Uh, so, you know, he he was still showing up in movies and, and headlining them, but he just the movies weren't the kind of big deal that they were previously. Um, End of Days, A Six Day, Collateral Damage. A lot of these movies were poorly reviewed, and I don't know how many people went to see them. Um, and then, you know, after Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, he became the governator from 2003 to 2011. And, you know, we were never sure if he'd ever really come back to his... His uh, his career as a as a an action star, but he did. Um, you know, he starred in the Expendables, the first two uh, films in that franchise. We mentioned those in our uh, Stallone um, episode of "Lends Me Your Ears." That's um, right, and Escape Plan with Stallone. That's right. Which yeah. uh, the the first one is actually uh, is actually kind of fun, and and they actually it's it's less of a strategic guest spot thing like Expendables films tend to be and they actually have some on-stream chemistry which was nice to see. Yeah, they did. I, I think you liked that film more than I oh, did, I think Stephen. So, but but, uh, but yes, that's true. They did have some chemistry. It was nice to see the two of them share the screen for quite a chunk of time. I kind of liked The Last Stand. This was uh, directed by Kim Ji-Woon and uh, this is a kind of a western he made very much in the style of kind of some of those you mentioned his uh, McBain period. This is kind of a McBain period movie in 2013 and uh, you know it it, 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 it the, the pacing of it and the the, the sort of style of it is very much like one of those movies where they don't really explain the fact he has a strange accent, but he's a, a sheriff in a in a small town in Arizona. And uh, it's, uh, you know, there is a, um, uh, you know, the, the plot really isn't actually that much worth talking about. Yeah, but it's, it's basically high noon with yeah. a lot more weapons. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And, uh, and it has some interesting sort of supporting characters, you know, Forrest Whitaker, Johnny Knoxville, um, and... Uh, Louis Guzman, who is always great. We could do a whole episode about Louis Guzman. Oh, I'm sure. He's an amazing character Peter, Peter actor. Peter Stormare, who's a great, another great character actor from Fargo, most people know him from. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was just nice to see him back in a kind of movie where his name is above the title of a major release. Um, you know, it's a throwback to the kind of action movies we didn't see for a long time from that just they stopped making them from the 80s and and Schwarzenegger wasn't making them himself so so there was nobody interested in making them and uh, but there's some characterization some story and uh 
it's uh, it, I mean, it does eventually sort of devolve in sort of a bloody cartoon. But if you have a sort of nostalgia for some of the things that Arnie did in the '80s, you might have stuff. You might find things to enjoy. Well, here. it's fun, it's funny. Bloody cartoon. It seems appropriate given that uh, uh, Ji Woon Kim. He's a Korean director. Um, he made uh, three quite wonderful films: uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Weird, which is basically a western train robbery film that is it is a cartoon it's ridiculously over the top stylistically and lots of moving camera and zooms and and uh action sequences so he, he seems like a good fit for here and maybe maybe that's because he's like an up-and-coming director with a lot of fresh ideas maybe that's why the last stand works as well as it does he also made uh, i saw the devil and a tale two sisters a really good creepy ghost story so you know it, it, maybe it was the first time in a while that he'd worked with a director that was young but also had an interesting take on on filmmaking and, and the last stand i think uh, was i mean it came early in his return to film and it kind of gave us hope that he was going to sort of seek out more interesting projects um and he did he made sabotage with david Ayer, who was another interesting filmmaker i really liked Ayer's fury the tank movie with brad yes Pitt. that was a good film i liked a great deal less suicide squad um, wow. but it mm-hmm. seems that Ayer does have a knack for an ensembles of you know, large, large, sort of larger than life characters and uh, in these films and sabotage is very much that though I saw it, you know, maybe five years ago and not a lot of it has stayed in my head. It's pretty ranch standard in terms of its storyline and its uh, execution. Uh, I mean, the only reason you would watch it is to see, you know, Schwarzenegger in kind of action mode again and, and, and in a fairly, a gritty kind of storyline where he's the head of a squad of elite DEA agents that have, uh, you know, they've, they've, maybe they've picked on the wrong cartel because they're getting picked off one by one. And they may have been involved in some shady dealings when they uh, discovered a massive cache of, of cartel uh, money underground. And uh, so they're, you know, the suspense in the story is like, you know, who's taking them out? Is it the cartel or is it one of their own? Uh, and, uh, and, and there's some interesting ideas here, but but it feels fairly run-of-the-mill in the way it, it kind of unfolds. But but it does have the benefit of some interesting casting, and, uh, you know, Schwarzenegger seems pretty game for this storyline. You know, he's still kind of showing his age, like he's the older head of of the operation as opposed to one of them, you know, trying to pretend he's one of the dynamic agents or whatever. But he, he still does a good turn, but the film, again, feels fairly... Uh, Fairly by the numbers. Yeah, and I remember also that the characters were really unlikable. Like, it's very hard to have muster much sympathy for any of them. That's true. It's hard to imagine, like, they're kind of like a a non-super suicide squad. So maybe that's kind of why he got that job, because they're all kind of a bunch of hothead mavericks, and it's hard to imagine them working as a, together as a team, uh, uh, which is maybe one of the reasons why the team comes apart so readily over the course of the film. But uh, but the, the you know they are kind of interesting in their their quirks and their sort of violent tempers and so on. But yeah, it's hard to imagine them being able to actually coordinate themselves enough to attack a cartel headquarters or safe house or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so then he made another Expendables movie. And in 2015, the same year he made Terminator Genesis, he made Maggie, which is a underseen. Like, I, I, I remember reading about it. I don't think it ever opened in cinemas here. Uh, but you can tell me if I'm wrong, Stephen, but I don't think it, no, it, I don't think it did. But it is a very solemn, almost ghoulish zombie picture with an emotional tone far more set in drama than your usual horror. I mean, there are horror notes, but the chassis of this particular machine isn't really built to scare. It wants to make us feel the sorrow of its characters. Now, Maggie is 
Abigail Breslin. She's a teenager who has the infection that's turned modern society into sort of a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Um, Arnie is her father, and he gets to be her protector. It's a role, of course, that he's quite comfortable with in, in cinematic terms. But in this scenario... Uh, it's all that pain because as the family, we start the movie with Maggie recognizing that she has been infected. She has gone to the hospital and she has the infection and, and everyone knows what that means, that within a certain amount of time, weeks, no longer than a month, she's going to turn into one of these creatures and there is no cure. And so this, the whole film is the family anticipating the forthcoming turn. Uh, Jolie Richardson, who's a super talented British actor, plays the stepmother. Uh, and Arnie really gets to stretch. I mean, he's more of a supporting character in the film, but it's great to see him in this kind of role. It's not the action lead. He's the suffering father. And uh, it's... it's it's. Uh, I was really surprised. Yeah, I, I mean, I first sort of really learned about this film when I saw you know a few comments about it online saying you're really missing the boat if you don't get a chance to check this out um i think you know may have may have played some theaters in some sort of limited distribution or whatever uh i watched it on amazon prime uh you know but it's, it's one of those films that maybe because it was more low-key even though it is a zombie film um at least uh you know in in theme uh that uh you know you, you think it would have done a little better uh, at the time but it, i think it's a, a film that people are sort of discovering and and uh, we, Abigail Breslin, weirdly, also in the Zombieland movies. Oh, that's right. Uh, she is. You know, she, she's <laughs> the found, new she's, one having just come out yeah, recently. Yeah, she's f- kind of found her niche. But she's she's wonderful here as uh, this this young woman who kind of knows what's happening and just kind of trying to make the most of her last few days uh, on Earth before uh, this thing kind of takes over. Uh, I, I like the fact that it's, you know, that, a zombie plague might be something that doesn't affect you right away. That, that it'd be like a slow um, kind of creeping disease that you're fully aware of happening as opposed to like you get bit and you're a zombie, you know, that, which has pretty much been the standard operating procedure um, going back to, uh, I guess, Dawn of the Dead. Um, but, uh, but here I, I like the kind of more realistic approach to what that might actually mean. Uh, and of course the zombies don't necessarily immediately attack you. They might just be poor souls wandering in the woods, uh, you know, living dead, just completely clueless about their fate. Uh, and, uh, it, it has a lot of ideas. Weirdly, uh, the director, this is his only feature film, mostly works with uh, other crew jobs. Uh, I'm surprised he hasn't uh, gone on to do much else since this Henry Hobson, but, uh, but, you know, certainly a name to keep an eye out for cause he, he handles the material fairly deftly here. And, uh, and one trip, one interesting trivia note: filmed in Louisiana, uh, using the same farmhouse as the movie Looper, oh, which is something yeah. I, you know, obviously I learned that from IMDb trivia. But but apparently it even get some of the same camera angles as in Looper. So uh-huh. you know, if it feels vaguely familiar, that's probably why. If you're you're a fan of the Ryan Johnson film, but uh, but yeah, Ar- Ar- Arnold shows some depth here. You know, his pain is pretty real. You know, as he tries to hold his family together. Um, you know, his 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 wife, who is his is uh, Maggie's uh, stepmother, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's kind of saying, you know, we should really, you know, look about, look at essentially putting her out of her misery as opposed to letting it reach full term kind of thing. And But he just wants to hang on to his daughter, which is understandable. And it all feels very real, even though it's this kind of, you know, supernatural, as it were, tale. Um, but uh, but it, it, it's the whole thing is in, invested with some real human feelings, which is, yeah. and it's, and it's very compact. It's, 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 just over an hour and a half, I think. And it's, you know, crams a lot into its storyline and doesn't waste any time 
with superfluous characters or or subplots. It's fairly direct and uh, immediate, and it really works. Yeah. Um, now, if zombie movies were ever an allegory for infectious or contagious illness, this one really does hit the nail square and hard. Um, yeah. It's, twenty eight. Twenty eight. Is it twenty eight hours later? Twenty eight days later. later yeah. Is, is kind of what it reminded. Like this. This is what it's maybe closest to in spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mean, we're coming close to the end of Lensmere years. Uh, I had noticed one in in Arnie's more recent uh, body of work that I haven't seen yet called Aftermath that looks kind of interesting. Another one where he sort of a drama about a man who loses his family in a plane crash and then connects with a character played by Scoop McNary, who's an air traffic controller who feels responsible for the crash. Now, that looks interesting. I'm, I'm going to look for that one. Um, you saw the <laughs> yes. debut film from Taron Killam, who is a formerly Saturday Night Live performer calling Killing Gunther, uh, where Arnie, I guess, plays a small role as an assassin. Uh, what did you make of that? Well, it's funny because if you, I, I again, this is another one I found at the library, and I'm I had fun with it actually. It, it's um, he's he's like almost the only person you see on the DVD box, which is funny because he doesn't really show up until almost an hour into the film. But uh, basically, he plays Gunther, the world's best assassin, and uh, a team of sort of younger, hungrier assassins want to take him out of the picture because they they see him as a threat. Um, and there's also some personal, uh, behind the scenes, uh, beefs with Gunther, as it turns out, um, mostly involving Taron Killam's character as this assassin who's not great at his job, uh, and feels sort of threatened and also, uh, somewhat, uh, diminished by, uh, by Gunther's existence. Uh, it's, it's a little too similar to a film called Man Bites Dog, a, a Belgian comedy a very dark dark uh, comedy from the early 90s uh, which is basically um, a mockumentary approach before mockumentaries became a big thing uh, it was kind of fresh uh, in, in in that territory but uh, it followed a serial killer and um, on his day to day life and it, it as you can imagine it gets pretty dark and and horrific uh, even though it's a comedy but it's it's Belgian they're very dark people I guess um, in their sense of humor and uh, at one point uh they encounter another serial killer who's also got his own documentary crew following him, and and that leads to uh, some horrific stuff. And uh, the, that same thing happens here with with Gunther, and uh, I felt that was maybe a little too close. Like it, it wasn't really acknowledging its its source material, perhaps. But but it is funny. It, it, I mean, it's very broad. It, it's essentially a bunch of people from Saturday Night Live, I guess, basically goofing around on their summer break is, is what it feels like. And uh, when Arnold does show up, he he plays, he kind of goes over the top with his character in a way that I found fairly appealing. I wish maybe he turned up a little sooner in the proceedings, but when he does appear, it is kind of a breath of, breath of fresh air to this film. And, and he's just kind of bug-eyed and kind of crazy, but also very funny um, in his approach to this character. And uh, I really enjoyed seeing that Arnie again. Um, it, it was fun to see him just do kind of wild-eyed comedy. Uh, and he, in fact, maybe we'll get to see him do it again. There's another there's a sequel to Twins coming up. Yeah, called, yeah. Uh, Triplets. Triplets, where the third uh, is Eddie Murphy, I believe. <laughs> so, like, I, I, I know, guess. I guess I under- that makes sense. And I understand the interest. Of course, this is material that people remember. And of course, they can market it easier. And I, I'm not sure if the world is calling out for a sequel to Twins, but uh, I'd go and see it. Um you know, and then and then uh, another film that he's working on that 
at least has been announced, we'll see if it actually ever arrives, is Conan the Legend, a sequel, a third Conan movie. Um, now, this is one, there's been a there'd been a script in the works for a while. I think it was maybe King Conan, and yes. it, they couldn't get it made. Um, and I think maybe because... You know, Arnie isn't the box office draw that he once was, and and they had various issues with. Of course, they had a Conan movie a few years ago uh, with Jason Momoa, which I actually liked Jason Momoa as Conan. I thought he was great, but the movie itself was not that good, and it wasn't a success at the box office. So, you know, they're much less likely to invest in another Conan movie if the last one didn't do that well. But you know, that everything old is new again, and they are just keeping at it uh and i can understand that arnie would be drawn to these these roles that he knows and can maybe find a new way to inhabit he's certainly doing that with the terminator movies um you know but i mean i hope that he is does continue to stretch and try these other kinds of roles even though i don't know that any i don't think maggie and the aftermath were particularly well seen but i it's great that he's doing that kind of stuff yeah and i feel like he's just kind of doing whatever strikes his fancy in a way i mean these none of these films are coming aside from obviously you know things like Terminator, Dark Fate, and uh, the upcoming Triplets, and you know those are have more studio involvement. But you know he's in these other films have to be put together by these international co-production deals or whatever. And though we all know those can be a little shaky from time to time. If a good film results from from those, it can often be a miracle. But um, you know I hope he's fairly judicious about what he decides to do going down the road, even though he is you know in his retirement age. <laughs> I don't think he's slowing down. He doesn't seem to be. No, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, I, I, I could, I could, I could look forward to a new Conan film. I, I'm pretty sure the comics, uh, addressed the idea of an aging Conan, the barbarian. And we, we had, you know, certainly, uh, low, even though he Jackman isn't nearly as old as Schwarzenegger is the, you know, the aging, uh, Wolverine and Logan, um, made for a terrific film. So I'm hoping that, you know, they take that kind of stance, with this Conan, you know, that he still has some of the old fire left, but he's obviously been through some stuff. So uh, I think, I think there actually is an, an interesting film that could be made there, but you know, I'm going to knock on wood and hope that that's what they decide to do. Well, that wraps up our look at the career and film work of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Certainly a major presence uh, in the box office world of our uh, our childhood and young adulthood, and 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 certainly he's uh, he's doing whatever he can to remain relevant in the modern day and age. Most recently in Terminator: Dark Fate, and uh, certainly both of us will be curious to see what he does down the road in, in terms of uh, roles. Hopefully, not just rehash work that he's he's done before. We'll see what happens. But uh, I hope you enjoyed this look at his career and maybe investigate some of the more obscure titles that we uh, we took a look at. And uh, if you're looking for us, this show can be found uh, on Facebook. We have a Facebook page and a Twitter account at Lends Me Your Ears. And uh, you can find me on Facebook, uh, or Twitter rather, at, uh, at NS underscore S-C-O-O-K-E. And I'm on Twitter as well. Uh, my Twitter handle is named after my blog called Flaw in the Iris. And uh, as usual, uh, we are here on CKDU 88.1 FM every other Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. And thanks to CKDU for the use of its production facilities and to the Village Soundcast Network for putting it all together and uh, getting it up online where you can hear it in podcast form. Thanks very much, and we'll see you next time. We'll be back. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production.